There were no people in the streets of Guam, and an eerie silence had encroached on every corner of the island. The only sound that could be heard was the occasional squeak of metal chain swing sets as the wind blew through them. Effective Friday, March 20th at noon. All public spaces in which people come together for food and beverage, entertainment, recreation, and leisure will be closed. Quarantined in a hotel room, Kristen Arbiano looked out from her window. The only movement she could see was the occasional person rushing across the sidewalk, trying to make it to the market before the shopping period closed. In her mind, she wondered and worried, would there even be any food to buy at grocery stores? There's already fears in the backdrop about how the COVID-19 pandemic can cause supply chain breaks with food into the island. If a ship doesn't make it to port, grocery store aisles go bare. Kristen Obriano is a Fulbright Scholar, Assistant Professor of History at Wesleyan, and Board Member of Guam Sustainable Culture, an organization dedicated to environmental education and improving food security on Guam. Her research focuses on the relationships between U.S. military and colonization on Guam over the 20th century and how these relations have impacted Chamoru, the indigenous islanders of Guam, and Filipino migrants. The fact that the people of the island, Chamoru Filipino, regardless whatever race, are so reliant on these imports makes the island very vulnerable to things that are happening around the world. Guam imports 95% of its food from off-island, which means Guam is inherently food insecure. My name is Natasha. And my name is Elizabeth. Join us in unraveling the history of Guam's food systems together. Because how we grow and give food teaches us how to navigate relationships with people, place, and power. So, back to Kristen. When the pandemic first broke out into the news, well, Kristen, she... I was in the Philippines doing a Fulbright for my PhD in history. And I was there for two months. And when news that this COVID-19 virus was spreading throughout the Philippines and indeed throughout the world, it became apparent that I might have to actually go home. So as soon as the Fulbright office said, okay, go, I like booked the ticket, went home. Kristen was born and raised on Guam and is a descendant of Filipino migrants as part of the labor force building U.S. military bases on Guam. Like Kristen, we all have memories of where we were exactly when we found out about the pandemic. Most of us can still recall what it was like when the whole world shut down and we felt the ground beneath our feet fundamentally shift into something unknown. I self-quarantined for 14 days at one of the hotels on Guam by myself. In that process, you know, it gets lonely and you start to think, what can I do to actually make a difference? For context, today, the majority of food on Guam comes from off-island, which is especially harmful when transportation and operations around the world shut down due to the pandemic. In addition, almost 6,000 visitors canceled their flights to Guam immediately after the virus's outbreak in the beginning of 2020. With more than 38,000 people in Guam employed in jobs that depend on the support of tourism, the island's loss of incoming tourists hit families working on the farms and in hotels the hardest. We're already hearing stories about how farmers don't have a market to sell their products to because Hotels have shut down, and this is the primary buyer, or the grocery stores won't buy their food, or people are not getting access to food. In adjacent to that, we're also hearing stories of people being laid off of their jobs really early on and not having the ability to provide for their own families. There are already so many disconnections between people, resources, and place before the start of the pandemic, yet the mandated lockdowns unearthed these vulnerabilities in mere weeks of their establishment. With no tourism generating income for the island, people had no money to buy food for themselves or for their families. Without demand from hotels or grocery stores for locally grown produce, farmers had no place to sell their harvest. All the excess pounds of food growing on Guam's farms would go to waste, while hundreds of families on the island starved. Or 
They would have if Kristen had not organized with GSC and the community. I think one of the first things that we did to immediately jump on the problem was to use what little funds that GSC had at the time to be able to purchase the vegetables that were on the vines or on the trees or in the ground from farmers so that food did not have to go to waste and then in turn donate that food to charities on the island that were providing food and meals to families. Guahan Sustainable Culture was founded in 2019, so it was a relatively new and young organization before the pandemic broke out. So, obviously, they did not have the funds alone to buy all the produce still growing on the island's farms. When these funds ran dry, Kristen reached out to Guam's residents. I set up a GoFundMe page with GSC, and we spread this GoFundMe page to the island's community. We quickly gained traction. We raised thousands of dollars to be able to continue this process of buying food from farmers so that they can then plant their next cycle of vegetables and then donate that food to people who needed it most. When tens of comments on GSC's GoFundMe lamented about the strong import culture of Guam's food systems, they're alluding to the fact that Guam does not have the political voice to stop American ships from coming into the island for food and for other reasons. Part of the reason why Guam doesn't have the autonomy to grow enough food for itself is due to American colonization on the island. While Guam is part of the U.S. We are a U.S. territory. We are part of the United States family. However, oftentimes we are kind of treated like distant relatives if you think about it. That's Mark Mendiola, a Guam history teacher, resident director of halls at the University of Guam and a part of the indigenous peoples of Guam, the Chamorro people. When Mark refers to Guam as a distant relative of the United States, the actual relationship is even less than that. The United States has exerted military rule for over 125 years, excluding the three years of Japanese occupation on the island during World War II. While people in Guam are U.S. citizens and therefore governed by the American government, they have no power to vote in the government, no legislative voice to say what or who can come into the island. There's this thing not many people are familiar with called the Jones Act. And it basically talks about shipping of goods into the island territory. It's a little bit more complicated, but in a nutshell, it's that the uh, stuff that's imported into the island of Guam has to be on a U.S. vessel, U.S. ship. So the cost of commodities and food out here is super high. But, you know, people just get used to that. Speaking of high prices, even a single can of Spam in Guam can cost up to $9, compared to the usual two fifty in the continental U.S. Spam. Don't knock it till you've fried it. Sizzle, pork, and mmm. Spam, the worst, is the worst. But it was a necessity for the Chamorro people after World War II because they were starving. The Japanese starved them, and when the American soldiers came, they were hungry, and they gave it out to them, and the island fell in love with it. Of course, you know, it's not the healthiest product, but Guam is the largest consumer. They actually even make flavors for us. And I tell people, you know what Spam stands for? Spam stands for something posing as meat. <laughs> Spam actually stands for spiced ham, but for all intents and purposes, Mark is right. The increased dependency on imported processed foods has meant that many people have lost their knowledge of agricultural production on the island, which is what was so desperately needed in the wake of COVID-19. And this is where Kristen came in to help bridge the gaps. There was one woman who came to us early on and said, actually, they're doing these supply drives in villages where the mayor's offices are giving away products to people who might need it. So this would be like diapers and like baby formula and stuff. Why don't we try to find a way to do the same thing for local produce? Under Underneath a blazing sun, skin slick with sweat and sunscreen, and a mask wrapped on her face, Kristen and the Guahan Sustainable Cultures co-founders set up their first ever supply drive at the mayor's office in the village of Barragata. 
all the farmers are bringing in their produce and their pickup trucks. They bring in anything from bananas to pet chai or bok choy to mangoes to avocados. And then we take that stuff, we bag them in paper bags across the floor, up to sometimes a hundred of them at a time. Being able to connect the fruits and vegetables to the names and faces and hands of the people who had grown them reminded Kristen of the lives that made life possible. We can hear their personalities, their laughters, or like their quiet ways of delivering stuff, or their their the bartering. And it really shapes the way that farmer relationship is. Despite the distance imposed to stop the spread of COVID, the solution to food security on Guam was to organize ways for people to get closer to their food systems, and by consequence, the people who tended to the land. When you buy food at supermarkets, we don't actually know who's producing it, but through the this experience, I got to meet so many farmers and their ways of living. Kristen also had the opportunity to connect with not only farmers, but the families who received the produce. 10-15 minutes before start time, people will start coming by with their cars. And this is COVID-19 era. We're all wearing masks and we're trying to do no-touch sort of situation very early on. We asked for permission to open up the backseat of the car. We dropped the bag in there and then they're on their way. This practice of fundraising, buying the excess food that farmers cannot sell to hotels and restaurants, and giving out to families in need continued several times over. And by the fourth time, something unique happened. Something that we call Inchmoru Inafamulek and Chenchul. Working with these farmers and we're more than willing to pay them for the produce, right? And we do, and they do accept. But then there'd always be a little bag set for us, right? Of like, here's the mangoes, and then this is for you, this is for you. And then we take the, and then we eat those mangoes, or, you know, this is too much sometimes, you would give it to other people. As a Chamorro woman who's never set foot on Guam, Inafa Molek means to make harmony, and Chenchul, which is a practice of sharing and reciprocity, are what make me feel most at home. Especially for an island community that has largely depended on subsistence farming and communal trading before colonization, these practices of sharing with your fellow islanders is what connects present-day Chamorro with their roots. And this act of sharing food beyond the whole like capitalistic notion of you know money exchange for product, really does shape that whole experience of how food can create those relationships over time. And it's something so much more deeper and more personal than I think a lot of like food security studies may seem to be. On Guam, we're so open as a community, as a people. And so if someone invites you to their house, they're going to offer you what's on their table. You know what I mean? They're going to offer you drink. They're going to say, come sit down, grab, grab something to eat. Everything that we do surrounded the family table. And this connection between food, family, and culture is universal. When you invite someone to your dinner table, when you ask someone to a meal, when you share in such a vital part of what makes us human, you're building relationships. And not just between person to person, but also amongst people and place. You know, back in the day, you know, people always gathered around where the food was at, the music, the entertainment. But it has changed in the sense that the convenience of things, we can just go buy it, you know what I mean? Rather than saying, hey, you know, we're going to make it or we're going to do these things. And so nowadays, it's about time. When you think about the American food system, you most likely think of convenience. You think about fast food, you think about takeout, you think about burgers and fries and Sam, if you're from the island of Guam. Because it is fast, and in a world that is constantly churning to produce more, it works with the current system, even if it doesn't work with health, culture, or community. But when the pandemic hit, and we all had to stop and reflect on what to do now, the solution wasn't to keep running. It was to reconnect with community members and support each other in whatever ways that we could. Even though the social distancing measures and restrictions shut down schools, restaurants, hotels, and other places for community gatherings, this enforced separation made Kristen realize that the community needed to come together to support each other. 
it wouldn't be at all possible without the generosity of community, right? The fact that people were willing to donate from five to like a thousand dollars during those first GoFundMe weeks and days was really incredible and crucial for giving us the enthusiasm and the willingness to provide and give back to the community, which just keeps on snowballing into the movement that we see today. The situation in Guam ultimately asks us, how will we as a community choose to relate to our food and our environment through cans of meat or dirt between our fingertips? But on a deeper level with our people on our island, I have a sense of appreciation for the environment that we live in because I know for a fact that should the supply chain stop and the ships stop coming in from Guam, I'm mean, not going to start i tell people this is kind of funny right you remember that movie survivor where they get a group of people from all different places they would never want an islander on survivor because we're going to come out like 20 pounds heavier we know how to survive off the land 